1: All right, this one's going to be short and sweet. CJ Moore of The Athletic is going to join us. He is about to publish a profile piece on Ochai Abaji. That's what we're going to open on. I'm excited to talk to CJ about it and talk about what Ochai is doing this year. I'm not going to do a ton of recap. No mailbag this one. Just a quick aside, I only caught about the final 10 minutes of actual game action of the KUK State game. I do want to say one thing because without getting into too many details here, it's really easy to be cynical about Twitter and we call it a cesspool. And that's where all of the worst takes and the worst opinions and the worst people come out to shine. Uh, I had a really positive experience with Twitter and social media on Tuesday night. Uh, My grandfather's 97 years old uh, went missing on Tuesday. I'm not going to get into details. Went out for lunch. Nobody saw him for Uh, Eight hours, and he went missing. And they issue a silver report, silver alert. Sorry, that's what it's called. And, um, you know, obviously, my family is, you know, pretty distressed about it, and we're running all over Topeka, Lawrence, Kansas City, trying to find him. And once they issued the silver alert, I I put it up on Twitter, and I, I can't tell you how many people who either I didn't know or I did know who, who reached out to me and texted me or people I didn't know who were just like listeners or followers who uh, wanted to ask what they could do. And even people with much bigger platforms and much bigger voices than I do, who I didn't know like people, broadcasters from like people ask, how can I help? It was just uh it was, it was a really cool moment. You don't realize it in the fact when you're driving around town, and you're trying to find them, and your phone's kind of blowing up and you're just sort of ignoring it and saying, I'll, I'll deal with all this later. And i once you know, my grandfather was found and everything was fine and he's perfectly fine, confused, lost, but, you know, in good health and no serious issues, you sort of take a step back and you realize, like, wow, how grateful you are that all of these people were willing to help, these people that you don't know, these people that you don't really have real connections with, the ones I do, you know, the ones who are texting me, like, all of that, it's just, it's really, it's really positive the way that, if you just ask for help, sometimes people are willing to help and do whatever they can. And it's really easy to fall back on the social media. This is where all uh, it's so negative. It's a cesspool. I need to be on social media less, which all of that stuff might be true. But I would just tell you that if you ever question what type of people are out there and the people that interact with you online, ask for help. One time, ask for help. One time, And you're going to find out that more often than not, there's a lot more good people out there than there are bad people. So I just wanted to start with that by prefacing this podcast that I watched hardly any of the KUK State game. And it doesn't seem like it mattered because the last 10 minutes that I did watch, KU hit every damn shot that they took. And as it turns out, that was the case for the previous 30 minutes of game action as well. So because I didn't watch all of that game, I don't want to sit here and act like I did and try and feed you a bunch of BS that you know I'm lying about, but I just want to talk about one thing, and it's something I wanted to talk about before the episode, so it's great that Ochai had the game that he did. 23 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. He continues to solidify his status as a first-team All-American. Ochai is the greatest scorer that has ever played under Bill Self at Kansas. I don't know if he's the best player. He's the best scorer. He is the best offensive player that Bill Self has ever had. 23 points on the season. He's averaging a hair over 20. The only two other players under Bill Self at Kansas to average over 20 points a game were Wayne Simeon back in 2005 and Frank Mason in 2017, the year he won National Player of the Year. Now, both those guys were first-team All-Americans. I feel pretty confident at this point that Ochai is going to be a first-team All-American as well. The efficiency at which he scores is why I think he's the best offensive player Bill Self's ever had. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with the efficiency and analytic numbers, but his effective field goal percentage, which takes into account where the shots are coming from, right? You you want to just do raw field goal percentage? That's the numbers. You know how to equate that. Effective field goal percentage is taking into account was this shot taken from three-point range? Was it taken from two-point range? Was it taken at the rim? He's number one. When you look at the best offensive seasons under Bill Self, right? Some of this is subjective, but I don't really think anybody would would argue that I'm leaving someone out. But I'll just quickly go through the list. Devontae in 2018, Frank the year before, Perry the year before that, Ben McLemore in 2013, Thomas Robinson in 2012, Marcus Morris in 2011, Sharon in 09, Brandon Rush in 08, and then Wayne Simeon in 05 and 04, right? Those are, I mean, that that's the list I came up with. You could maybe add in somebody else, but I know I'm not listing anybody or missing anyone that deserves to be at the top of the list or who would actually be in the conversation here for best offensive seasons under Bill Self. This season that we're seeing right now from Ochai is the best of all the guys I just named because it's not just one thing that he's shining at because there are... When I think of shot getters, when I think of bucket getters, go and get me a shot. Sharon Collins is the first name that comes to mind. Give him the ball. 20 seconds left in the shot clock. 20 seconds left in the game. You need a bucket. That's the guy over anybody else on that list I want with it. Now, you could say maybe I want Devonte, Maybe I want Frank. That's fine. But if we're just talking about 40 minutes of game action, good luck keeping this guy in check. Use all your defensive attention and focus it on this guy. Good luck keeping him in check. Ochai is that dude. Because unlike some of the other really impressive offensive seasons that we've had, Devontae, Frank, Sharon, Ochai's not the one initiating the offense. And unlike what we've come to expect from Bill Self, which is we're going to run the ball to the post, he ain't a big guy either. He doesn't fit the typical mold of what we're used to seeing from super productive offensive players at Kansas. But yet he is putting together one of the most productive seasons we've ever seen from Bill Self. I mean, he's taken 27% of the shots for KU when he's on the court. He is number one in effective field goal percentage amongst those guys. He is number two in points per game only behind Frank Mason. It is the most impressive season I've seen under Bill Self offensively. Now he's not the two way player. I think he's a fine defender. He's not anybody who's really wowing you with what he does defensively. That's fine. Most of these guys would fall under that same category. But what's even most remarkable about it, kind of like what we did with Frank and kind of like what we did with Thomas Robinson, is nobody saw it coming. This wasn't a McDonald's All-American. This was a guy who had his redshirt pulled halfway through his freshman season, and he only did because Yudoka Azabuki got injured and they needed another guy to play. And the fact that over the course of three years, three and a half years, and especially over the course of the last six months when he tested the NBA draft waters, comes back for the senior season and has transformed himself into a completely different player. This guy went from being a not even top 130 player in the country to being a lottery pick and to being a first team All-American and at least having his name in the conversation for national player of the year. I've talked about this a little bit in past weeks, but because he's been doing it all year now, when he goes out and scores 23 and goes 9 of 13 from the field and 4 or 6 from 3, you you don't really find yourself being wowed by his performance because you've come to expect it. This is what Ochai does. He averages 20. You expect him to go out and get 20 every single night. But just because that's what he's been doing and it feels normal doesn't mean we should normalize it because it is special. I think it's always important to stop, take a step back, get some perspective, and smell the roses. Because what you're watching doesn't happen very often. In fact, I'm not sure it's quite ever happened because I do think this is the best single offensive season we've ever seen a player have under Bill Self. CJ Moore of The Athletic. has a piece coming out on Ochai Baji, a big piece coming, uh, I think, within the next couple days or so. So be on the lookout for that. CJ, it's always good to catch up with you, man. Thanks for taking a few minutes. I don't want to say that Ochai is underrated because he's going to be uh, probably the Big 12 player of the year, first team All-American, but in the midst of this season where you're trying to figure out how good this team's going to be, where they're going to go, what their weaknesses are, how to improve, it's almost like we normalize Ochai, where he can go out and score 20 or 25, and you just say, oh yeah, you know, that's what he does, he's been doing it all season, when it's like, no, this should still be appreciated because it's rather unprecedented for 20 points per game, coupled with the efficiency and the volume. You don't see this a lot in high major basketball, and you certainly don't see it very often at KU, where Bill Self's had some really, really good offenses, but oftentimes they're very balanced for him to be able to do this for a sustained period of time over the course of the season when he was not this player last year. It feels like we're almost normalizing the fact that this guy is having one of the best seasons of the Bill Self era at Kansas.
2: Yeah. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And I think he continues to do things that I'm like, uh, which I wouldn't have done that before, which I wouldn't have done this before, which I wouldn't have done this before. That's kind of how I came at this particular story. And I wanted to find out how in the heck did you get to this point? So that's kind of where I come from with it. But, you know, one thing that I think is, very telling of of his progression and how far, like, even, you know, early in the season, you're like, all right, he's on a heater, right? Like, he's on his heater. Obviously, he's improved with his skill and he's doing things that he's never done before. But where I think that's come full circle and you can see, holy crap, like, this dude really is on another level where, like, let's take the Oklahoma State game, for instance, the other night or last week. Didn't shoot the ball particularly well. What do he go from three that game? Like, two for eight or something uh, one for six one for six okay goes one for six and he scores 20 points like if i had told you before the season oh is going to have a game where he goes one for six and he scores 20 points you know nah come on like he's a shooter right? Like he's, he's very reliant on the three ball. Like, nah, he's not, he not going to do that. It must, must've got a bunch of transition dunks or something. Right. But no, like he, he is, he can figure out a way to still have an impact. And even in those games where he wasn't scoring points, defenses are putting so much attention towards him that, that gra and I've written about this, the gravity of him is creating way easier opportunities for other guys. So you know, the game is easier for Christian Brown and it is easier for Jalen Wilson. And I never foresaw that kind of impact from mochai where he could make the game easier for other guys. That's, that's just not something I saw. That's not something I think Bill Self ever saw. And yeah, he just continues to be super, super productive. He hasn't scored in single figures one time all season, double figures every single game. Uh, like even in his off games, he's still getting the double figures. You know, Oklahoma, he's super cold at Oklahoma. Scores, makes his last four final buckets and basically goes out and wins the game down the stretch of that game with a bad wrist. So it's, it's pretty incredible, the consistency and, and just how good he's been.
1: Yeah, a lot of guys want to transform their game. A lot of guys want to go out and improve upon their weaknesses and, and change from one year to the next. It's another thing to actually have the means to do it. So in talking to people and talking to him, how was he able to effectively change into a new player over the course of the off season, which is what three or four months?
2: It was a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And I'm going to be able to show in this story, how much work went into this. And it was a mentality change. People will understand how this mentality shift happened and what kind of work he put in and continues to per- put in after they read this story, and I think even Kansas fans are going to come away and be like, "Wow, like this is some you know stuff you don't know about," and like it's th- that behind the scenes work, not just with his phys- you know not just with his physical game, but his mental side of it that I think is taking them to a whole new level.
1: So as we we're coming down the home stretch here, and you've seen plenty of Ku. Is this the type of team where Ochai is going to need to play like the best player in the country if KU's going to go on a run in March? Or are, are the pieces around him, is there enough pieces around him to where he doesn't have to be this guy every single night for them to cut down nets?
2: It's a good question. Like I, I still think they can beat really good teams without him on his A game and having a great game just because I think in a one-game sample... Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown can, can carry them. David McCormick, David McCormick, even, um, I think Oshai has got to be pretty good and continue to be close to as good as he's been for them to go on a deep, deep run. But it, this isn't just, it's not Danny Manning in the miracles, right? Like, um, Christian Brown's a pro. I don't know if we can say that about Jalen Wilson yet, but he's been very, very good in the conference season. Um, David McCormick, uh, if you look just at the analytics, he's been even better in Big Twelve play than he was a year ago. Now the um, usage is a lot lower, but he's been you know he's been really really good in conference play. Just there's a Kentucky turd in the middle of that, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was a turd for everybody play. though, right?
2: He's been he's been pretty damn good. So um, I, I think that they, they're obviously much more than just just Ojai. But yeah, I mean, for them to like beat elite uh, the elite of the elite, like you look at the Kentucky game, he probably has COVID that night. And he wasn't, you know, himself. And it was went way beyond O Chai's not right, but like against a really, really good team, they needed him to probably have another worldly experience, have it either even a chance in that one. And you know, he didn't have it that night.
1: It's only been, what, six games since that Kentucky game, and you've got the loss to Texas, which I'm sure they're still feeling like they should have won down in Austin. But did something change? Was there a shift that you've noticed in this team since that loss to Kentucky? Because it just feels like there's been maybe I don't know, a more calming presence, like they're, like they're getting settled into to sort of who they are. Have you noticed anything since that game?
2: I think they've bought in a little bit more on the defensive end realizing how much possession by possession by possession matters. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that was just one of those moments where it's like, all right, we got our ass kicked here. are Things that we're a little deficient in here's what we have to do to be good. David, we got to get, you know, we got to get at least 20, 20 plus minutes out of you. You got to be good. Right. Um, we've got to play a little faster. Uh, with our pace and our offense. I think they figured that out in the stretch and yeah, I think they're just kind of figuring out who they are and how they best play. And I think in this six game stretch, they've progressed in that area um, where right before that they were just kind of surviving in games, like surviving and winning. Um, I I think they're, they're getting to the point where um, ideally like they can thrive.
1: Just taking a look at some of their defensive numbers on Ken Palm, 28th ranked defense in the country during Big 12 play, actually the second ranked defense in the conference, which might be the best defensive conference in the country. What are you seeing with this team on defense right now? Because we know the personnel, we know it's not one of Bill Billsaw's stronger units, but it seems like they're getting settled in somewhat on that end of the court. So is this just a product of the opponent? Are you seeing a shift in how they're playing on that end of the court. What do you think has led to this and, and how sustainable do you think it is?
2: I, I think you're seeing progress. I also think like they've got, it, let's not act like they don't have good defensive pieces. Like,
1: But who are their O-chai plus defenders, has, right? Ochai, and then who?
2: Well, Ochai,
1: Christian, and Jalen are like
2: all big, versatile wings that can move and guard multiple p- spots. Um, Dewan can be picked on but he also is a really, really smart positional defender who has quick hands and can get some steals. David, in all his awkwardness, it, he's, he's tough to score around in the paint because he's just flailing around in there, right? Like, um, you know, I think he's... Their paint protection is way better when he's on the floor. Um, now on the bench and then yes, just Joseph, Joseph Yasafoon. No coincidence that their best stretch of defense probably, like you said, these last six games have come when he's played a little bit more because he can he can add some ball pressure. Um, you know, he gets after it on the defensive end. So um I think they have some defensive pieces. I think there were stretches early in the year where there they weren't locked in every possession, where they were getting back cut too easily, that kind of stuff. Like oh oh Chai has a tendency sometimes to fall asleep a little bit off the ball. And um I think mean, he's gotten a little better with that as the season progressed. But like they're not the most locked in, in tune defensive team every time. But I do think it's like, okay, Kentucky kicked our ass, Scouting Report stuff. Like, come on, that this is unforgivable. You can't do that and beat a really good team. And I do think they've been more into all right, we can't just go out and outscore people. But let, let's not act like they're um, you know, the little sisters of the poor on the defensive end and like n- nobody can, you know, you can just score easily on Kansas. No, there's like you said, they're, they're the second best defensive big 12 play in a league full of elite defenses self has a tradition of being a really good defensive coach. Um, I think that number was going to trend in the right direction at some point, And this is the some point we're getting to like by the end of the conference season, good chance there in that Every national title team, right, is top 20 in defense and top 20 in offense when you look at adjusted efficiency. I bet you by the end of the regular season, Kansas is in that top 20 mark.
1: Yeah. What did they end up like 12th last year? And I mean, yeah, it was
2: the the, the second half of the year. They were like the best defensive team in the country. Like, I, I, you can go back. I, I I did the math on it um, and have it in some of my stories. Like, they had like a 10 game stretch where like nobody was better.
1: I think a big part of it is Dave because the interior defense has always been sort of the foundation of self's defenses. And I think, like, this is a while ago, like, early, around the, the 08 title team, That he always said he wanted to keep teams under, like, 43% or 44% in two-point defense. Like, if he kept them below 40, he felt like the defense kicked ass that game. And those numbers, like, I don't know if that's even realistic in today's college basketball but that's a big part of it. It's just that you don't trust that, and we saw it against Kentucky, that against a Kentucky or an Auburn or a Gonzaga, somebody with just some real studs down low, that, or Purdue even, that Ku is going to be able to hold their own. Now, maybe you can apply that to every defense in the country, but that's more, I think, of you're just used to seeing elite defensive big men, and Dave just doesn't look like that.
2: Yeah, he. I mean, he's not as athletic as some of the big men in the past. But um, here I'm looking, you know, I'll, I can pull up their on-off stuff here I'm doing right now. And I haven't looked at this in a little bit. But, like, with Dave on the floor, they're giving up um, .89 points per possession. Without him, they give up .96. Um, Two-point field goal percentage with him on the floor is 46.6. Without him, it's 48.3. Like, it's not a huge number, but there's a difference there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, teams are um, shooting more threes when he's on the floor than when he's not just because you're less prone to attack the paint. So I I do think while he's not, like, elite, elite in that category, he does make a difference.
1: Is three-point defense, where, where have we fallen on that? Is is this something that, that, def, that defenses you think can have uh, a big impact on, or is that something that's just going to sort of be volatile? Because that's KU's best trait, at least statistically.
2: I, I mean, I'm not – so Kim Pomeroy will tell you, and, and probably Jesse Newell because Kim Pomeroy, right? <laughs> we can't know, know about how, how Jesse feels about him. Um, he'll, he'll tell you that you can't control the percentage the other teams make necessarily – you what you can control is how many they shoot. I, I don't think he thinks that entirely, but I, I think he believes you know that's it's it's easier to control how many people shoot. Come here, Lily. Come here. Let's not bark. Um she thinks but, you uh, can she
1: thinks three point defense is a real thing.
2: Yeah she does. Um so I I, I think um, whether the threes are coming from kickouts from the paint or whether they're coming on, you want to get under, you
1: want, you want,
2: you want, you want there? there we go. Now oh, we're getting somewhere. So, you know, that matters in, in terms of like, how are you getting those threes? So I'm, I'm not of the belief that, you know, it just, you can only control how many you give up. I, I believe you can control what kind you give up. So the fact that teams are shooting that percentage, part of it might be a little bit luck, but part of it is probably the types of looks they're getting.
1: Now comes the part, uh, the Remy Martin part of this conversation. You mentioned Joe Yesifu, who's carved out a nice little role the last couple of weeks. Um, Don't know if or when Remy's going to be back. It sounds like he's practicing in a limited capacity, but they've been sort of uh, nebulous, the comments on exactly when they're going to come back because Bill doesn't seem like he has much of a uh, concrete idea of when he's going to come back at this point in the season. You got five games left in the regular season, unless he plays against Kansas state. That's four games left in the regular season. Is there enough time left for even if he does come back and is healthy and gets to the point where he can you know, go hundred percent, is there enough time left for him to carve out a meaningful role this season? Oh boy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I think if he doesn't play next week in one of the TCU games, then I'm really skeptical like it's happening, like that he'll he'll play again. Um, If he comes back next week, then, yeah, maybe he can play, you know, 10 minutes here in a game. Maybe he ends up playing 25 minutes in a big game. Who knows? Self's going to go off field, right? Like he's going to go off field and who he can trust. And right now he's trusting Joseph Yesufu. So if Remy were available, would he maybe get a shot? Yeah. But there's also a chance that like, he just sits the bench. Like self doesn't care about feelings or <laughs> like that. Oh, he was Remy Martin, big 12 preseason, big 12 player of the year. He did this and then that. all all they care about is winning games at this, especially at this point. Like, so, you know, you got to see what he can give you. I guess you got to see what he can give you. But um, if he's not seeing it in practice, then I don't think he's going to roll the dice in a game. So that's kind of where I am with him. I also think there's an argument to be made that at this point, this late in the game, I don't know that they're better with Remy Martin, Remy Martin returning because what Yesufu can give them defensively, you know, you can count on that. Remy's defense
1: mm-hmm.
2: comes and goes, and Yesufu gives you the speed that you were hoping to get out of Remy Martin. Like he he kind of changes things with his speed, and I just don't. I mean, if you get early in the year Remy Martin when like he was really. When He had a couple stretches, a couple games where he did play really well. If you could get that, then yeah, obviously take that. But can you really sit as long as he sat and come back and do that? I, I don't know if you can rev it back up that quickly.
1: As good as that starting five has been for KU, there still seems to be the sense that Bill Self likes to play two ball handlers if he can, and if, if given the opportunity, like that to me still spells a, a, a future for Yesifu, or if it's Remy, like, you're going to need a secondary ball handler, and that's Yesifu right now. It feels like that's not going to go away, even when the rotation shrinks a little bit in March.
2: You are, but it's like 10 to 15 minutes a game. Because he's not going to sit, like, you're not going to sit Christian Brown to get more minutes out of that position. You're not going to sit Jalen Wilson to get more minutes out of the position. Sometimes Jalen, maybe on a night where Jalen's off. You're not going to sit Ochai to get more minutes out of the position. And obviously, Dewan's going to be one of those guys, right? So yeah. I, I do think there's been like this. It was such a big preseason narrative that like self-wanted two handlers on the floor more, yada, yada, yada. Well, their best team has Ochai, Christian, and Jalen on the floor. So I think a little bit we can put to rest like they got to have two small guys on the court more like, come on. like. Then, then you're sacrificing minutes for Christian or Jalen or, or Ochai. No. So, yes, you've got to have somebody off the bench on the perimeter that can give you, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. But to act like we need, you know, they need 30 minutes a night with two guards on the floor, that ain't happening ever this season. And it might not be like a thing next year, depending on who comes back.
1: Let's fast forward to March. It's a sweet 16 game against, uh, I don't know, Houston. KU needs uh, some minutes in the first half from a backup big because Dave gets into foul trouble. Is it Mitch Lightfoot, the 26-year-old super senior, coming in to provide valuable minutes, or could we see a Cole Aldridge-type breakout performance from a guy like Zach Clements or KJ Adams?
2: Depends on the matchup, depends on the night. I think it's going to be entirely off field. Um, I mean, just like you thought, Clements had passed Lightfoot by, right? And then the other night against West Virginia, he plays Lightfoot. Because you gave me the Houston example, and who, who does Houston's mentality kind of similar to in the Big 12? I guess you could say West Virginia, right? And Houston's got some grown ass men in the paint, um, then it's probably in that particular game, it's probably like foot, I guess, you know, Um, you got to have somebody that can read, but Houston's also huge and has a uh, big seven footer in, um, I'm going to space on his name, but kid from, from UConn transfer. And, uh, he might, he's probably too big for Mitch. So maybe it is Clements in that game, you know, like it, it's all going to go off feel and matchups. And I don't think that um, like that's been decided for, okay, we're, we're going with Lightfoot like, the rest of the way, or we're going with Clements the rest of the way, or KJ has got that. I think it's just by, game by game. Like, it's just going to be a field thing. Just like in that particular, like North, North Carolina, uh, Cole Aldridge never happens if there's, they're not foul trouble. Right. So like it took a special circumstance, even for him to get on the floor that night.
1: CJ always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for uh, hopping on. And I guess you can't tell. I mean, this podcast is coming out Wednesday morning. So hopefully be on the lookout for the, the OCHI piece coming down the pipeline.
2: It's going to be a fun March. Um, Kansas, I think is in a much better position than we were a couple of weeks ago. They're playing good ball. Um, I think it's super wide open. I think it could be a crazy NCAA tournament and that could include Kansas losing the second round. It could include Kansas getting into the final four. Like who knows? We'll see. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun uh, March madness. I'm, I'm just glad it's going to be like a real March madness with people and energy mm-hmm. and everything that's great about college basketball. So uh, it's been a fun season in that way. It's like, can you imagine this OCHI season happening without there being people in the stands, right? Like, yeah. Um, and I think he's better because of it. Like I've written about Christian Brown and you know how I think he enjoys a a full stadium. Like I I think this Kansas team benefits from that because it feeds off energy and it plays better, faster. And when do you play faster when there's people in the stands? So, um, yeah, it's it's fun to have like real college basketball back.
1: Hey, thank you, CJ. Thank you. Alright, that's gonna do it for this episode. A little bit shorter than normal, but uh we'll make up for it because I'm telling you right now, coming down the pipeline here over the next three, four weeks, however long the season lasts, I am I'm very excited about some of the names that we have uh coming on. I, I don't they're not all confirmed, and I can't give you exact dates on some of them, so we're working on some things, but I'm telling you right now, there are exciting things in the works, and I think you're really gonna enjoy some of the stuff that we have coming for you in the month of March during the NCAA tournament. Speaking of which, I don't know when you're listening to this, but starting on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City, you can hear a brand new show, Jayhawk Talk Radio. If you've ever listened to the Jayhawk Talk podcast, if you've heard us doing the Twitter spaces after KU games, Kevin Meckley, Andrew Payne, the guys from Jayhawk Talk, and myself, We'll be doing a one-hour, once-a-week show from 6 to 7 o'clock on Sixteen Sports Radio called Jayhawk Talk Radio. It's the podcast that they've been doing for a decade now, and we are taking it to terrestrial radio. It will never be the same. So we're excited. It's a KU show by fans for fans. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And if you can't catch it live, which you can do so by listening on the radio or listening on the app, the Odyssey app, Sixteen 16sports.com. We're going to have the podcast feed right here on the Wave in the Week podcast feed. So if you subscribe to this podcast, you're going to be able to hear all those episodes from now until the end of the season. So do that now, by the way. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening as always. We'll see you next Wednesday, Wave in the Week.